Well, good good morning, everybody. Glad you're glad you're here and happy to be with us. Um, just just a reminder that this is Judges 101. If you're in the right classroom, just make sure. Let's go ahead and sing this morning. Uh, have to pardon me, I was with some Baptists this week, so sometimes it shows. But if you'll turn to hymn number 571, hymn number 571. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in all the wars and battles that you call us to on a daily basis, that you go before us. Pray, Lord, that you would work in our hearts, that we would be on your side as we stand up to battle. 
and that in all things we would give honor and glory to you, the Lord of hosts and the Lord of armies. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, last Sunday morning we heard about the, the goodness of the Lord in the 20 years that we've been here. But prior to that, we were in Judges chapter 5. So what was the theme of Deborah's song? What, what are some words you would describe that as? Do you remember? Victorious, yes, I think. And deliverance and salvation. And then this is just my... Tr- uh, trying to get to trivia, what did God use to thwart or thwart the chariots, depending on what part of Georgia? Pardon? The rain, and, and why is that? So they, they don't. And then we come to where we are now, and they all lived happily ever after. Is that... Is that right? If you, but we're actually in Judges six. I guess I need to tell you that. And they all lived happily ever after, for a moment. This is um, the exhortation that we get. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day as long as as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And just, I'm curious, what, what day is this referencing? Do you know? So this is, more or less about the Lord's Day, right? It's the rest of God's people. Anyway, but this is our exhortation. We know that from what we've studied in Judges, Israel falls into sin, and God does what? He raises up a deliverer. Israel falls into sin, and God raises up a deliverer. And this is really the big problem. Synchronism, the amalgamation of different religions, cultures, or schools of thought. There's this, uh, he's not a Christian, but there's this neuroscientist that I read a lot of his work, and every now and then I agree with him. He said this statement. Sigmund Freud, about sleep and dreams, was 50% right and 100% wrong. And which I agree with, or maybe I would say 20% right. But we're going to talk this morning about Judges 6, 1 through 10. And um, just to think about different things. Maybe you don't see this. I don't know. No, if this is your favorite movie, Bugs Life, or The Seven Samurai. 
or Magnificent Seven, which these two are the same, just one's done with westerns and one's done with and guns and one's done with swords. But actually, this is one of the few times that Disney kind of gets things right. Let's look at Judges 6, 1 through 10. I may be getting, I may be flying in a little bit. <clears throat> the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Milkites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted, so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not enter the gods. Fear, you should not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So we see that here we are, Israel again. People of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Midian was sent to oppress them for seven years. Does that have any significance, seven years? Probably so. Israel hides in caves and lacks food. Anybody live in a cave or been caving? What, what is one thing that the secret weapon of mass destruction of that time can't do to a cave? Can't get in. I don't know. Y'all been around Campbell's much, but they're not known for being able to slide down like squirrels and get in your house. So Israel hides in caves and lacks food, and they're scared of the secret weapon of mass destruction. If you if you watch Bugs Like, that same idea of the the grasshoppers would come or the flying bugs or whatever they were, they would come in. And they would be bullies and take the food of the people that raised it. So Israel cries out for help. God sends a prophetic messenger. What's his name? Nobody knows. And then the message from the messenger is, And I said to you, do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not 
obeyed my voice. Now, I think we can see a pattern in this passage. I don't, this messenger is not John the Baptist because he was not born yet. John the Baptist is more like this messenger. Comes in, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But that's not all the story. You need to know how to repent. So here we go to Judges 6, 11 through 18, and we're going to look at the calling, the call and sending of Gideon. Let's look at 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite. While his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So here's, here's the call. What is the new identity given to Gideon? He says, I'm the little shrimp in the house. The angel of the Lord says you're, that you're a mighty man of valor. Did Jesus say something similar that to his disciples? What did he call them? Remember? Fishers of men, light of the world. If you looked at them on their, if you did a psychological profile on them, would you think that they are the light of the world? I don't know. So Gideon asks, why has God forsaken all his promises? He, here's that part. He's getting things 50% right, but 100% wrong in his thinking. The Lord says, go. And Gideon says, whoa, show me who you are. You ever tell God, whoa? Or do you ever just say, whoa, to anything? That's, that's really a good reform word to say, whoa. Pause. So Gideon goes to prepare a present of food. Now this, the idea behind this could either be a free will offering or a present given as tribute 
to a king or superior. So then we come to Judges 6, 19 through 24. 19 to 24. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an effort of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, and actually it probably should say, a better translation would be, and the angel of Yahweh said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes and fire <laughs> sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord, and Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace to you, do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it still stands at Aphra, which belongs to the Abyssalites. So here's the first sign given to Gideon. Most of the time, we think the first sign is what? Fleece. We think the fleece is the first sign, but this is actually it. Gideon believes he is going to die. Why? What, what is special about the angel of the Lord? So, so the angel of the Lord is who? Jesus, right. Because we know that he's Jehovah Shalom, right? That's who he is. This is Jehovah Shalom. And the Lord says, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. Because Jesus has something more important for him to do. And then Gideon responds by building an altar to Je Jehovah Shalom. So he responds in worship. That, that is the response that we give to God is to worship Him. Now I don't want to wear your mind out too much because we want to worship. But these are a lot of things to think about. This is, this is a progression. Think about when Peter talks about holy men of old spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, or they preached, or they said things. We've already had a prophet come and give the word of the Lord. We've had Jesus come in what we call theophany, or what Joel Beakey would call a Christophany. So we have Christ coming and saying, this is the word and this is your assignment. And saying, do not fear. That, that seems to be 
a point or a trigger for all of us in a calling. When we're called to do something, you know, whether it's, you know, fly an airplane or work on heating and air conditioning or whatever IT people do, you know, those callings, we should not be afraid in our calling in life. So then we come to where it starts getting intense. This, this is an intense passage. It goes from tension to double tension to double, double, double tension. I mean, this is getting, this is getting intense. And so we look at verse 25. Gideon's kind of calmed down. The Lord is peace. But in verse 25, it says, That night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has. Anybody ever plow with an ox or a bull? They have a lot of strength. I think that was that was the first purpose of the bull, was to use the bull to tear down this big altar and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. So that was a the Asherah was a pole made out of wood. And build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Some some think that his dad, Joash, was the keeper of the altar of Baal and the lady god Asherah. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. Some people are critical because, but because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. God didn't tell him to do it in the daytime, just told him to do it. And so he did it. I think, you know, he, Gideon wavers in his faith like we do, but Yes, sometimes you know it's the right thing to do for the Lord, but not not do it as quickly. I mean, we want our children, when we tell them something, to be obedient immediately. But sometimes they drag their feet. I know when my wife tells me to do things, sometimes I'm slow. I admit it. I confess it. But I don't think we can fault Gideon because we are just like him. It doesn't mean that we should never be obedient. So he tears down this altar. He has ten men helping him. And then what happens next? When the men of the town rose, rose early in the morning... And they were real men, and they got up at 6 a.m., because all real men get up at 5 or 6. Behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, and the Asherah beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Oh, it's Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. What do you, how do you think they found out? 
it's so so you think ten men would not keep a secret? If they were pressed, I mean, somebody had to say something. And then there's that relationship with Joash's father that was the keeper of that. So uh, I, I could see the investigator going, oh, let's ask those ten servants of Joash if they saw anything. And they're probably scared too. Then the men of the town said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal, or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by mourning, if... Baal is a god. Let him contend for himself because his altar has been broken down. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jerobel. That is to say, let Baal contend against him because he broke down his altar. So I'm trying to figure out, was this a taunt by Joash who was sort of the keeper of Baal and Asherah? Does he give, does he kind of put things off on his adult son and say, well, here's the insurance. I'm not going to kill my son, but if Baal's a god, let him contend for himself and kill Gideon. Just notice that this first battle is with his friends and relatives. Do you find as you go along life's journey that there are people that hate the Ten Commandments? Do you see that? Do you think some days you hate the Ten Commandments? So, Judges 6, 33 through 35. So, here we're going on. He's He's got one thing to do and he got that right now he's given something else now all the midianites and the amilkites and the people of the east came together and they crossed the jordan and encamped in the valley of jezreel but the spirit of the lord clothed gideon and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abizrites were called out to him, called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messenger, messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they went up to meet him. So he's... He is progressively realizing a lot of things. He can't do this on his own. He gets the ten men. Why he gets ten instead of seven, I don't know. That would have followed, I would think. If, if I was writing the Bible, I would have, you know, if I was God, I would have put seven just to keep continuity. But I think he realizes he needs ten men to help with the bull and tearing down all that. I don't know if you've ever been on a team of 10 people. 
It's kind of hard to keep everybody in line. But he goes and gets these people. And he is told by God that he is clothed by the Spirit to do God's work. I think Paul gets this, and this is why he puts this in here. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And as we know in that passage, prayer is the biggest weapon you have. I don't know if there's symbolism. You seminary students can tell me if the symbolism of the trumpet is prayer or whatever, but um, I I do know that Reveille will get you get you going in the morning. If you're at a Boy Scout camp, it does something to you. If you're in the military, it does something to you too. So we we have that. So then we come to the sign of the fleece. Judges 6, 36 through 40. Then Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, don't you just see God going, Behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. And it was so. Okay, here we go. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. God amplifies it when he gives us his will, and he amplifies it through his word, and it says it fills up a whole bowl of water. I was a Boy Scout. They said, you know, if you're someplace, you don't have water put out some kind of cloth and, you know, for survival things, and then you can get up in the morning and maybe squeeze out a couple of drops. So this is a whole bowl of water. So here we go again. Then Gideon said to God, he's, he's getting a little nervous, let not your anger burn against me, Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just one more with the fleece. (sighs) Okay. Please let it be dry on the fleece only in all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. And it was dry on the fleece only and on the ground there was dew. So, here we are. Gideon asked for one more sign. Fleece wet, and then he asked for it to be dry. This, And we need to be careful when we read things like this because this is a narrative that points out our lack of consistency in faith 
not an imperative for decision making. You ever hear anybody talk about putting out a fleece? I've done that. Yep, I'm still standing. Um, I uh, kind of did that with after I asked my wife to marry me. I was talking with some friends yesterday, and they were asking about that. And I said, "Well, I asked her to marry me, and it took went on rode along for a couple months." And I had determined if she had not said yes by a certain date, I was going to go buy a Corvette and move on. That was that was kind of my fleece, but you know, my I was young. I was 27 or 28. wasn't very sharp, but but I had grown up in an environment where that's part of that um, quiet. Is or quicket, quicket or uh, yeah, I never can say that word. But I grew up, and you know, you well, you can't figure things out. You throw out a fleece of some kind. It's very dangerous. Fortunately, the Lord was knows my feeble frame, and I got a blessing from it, and not a curse. But I think that's that's what we need to be careful with because. What does the Bible say? It says we have everything that we need in Scripture to make a decision, like whether to get a red car or a blue car, right? That's in Scripture, isn't it? No, that just is something that the Lord lets us up. But we see this probably in, in a sense in the calling of men to office in the church. So um, maybe um, parts can tell us from the book of church order. How do you how do you know that you're called to an office, whether it's uh, deacon, elder, or minister? What is what is what are some some indications of that decision? Do you know from the book of church order what it talks about? It's your test. So there's actually a third confirmation too. So there's two confirmations. You have a desire because we know that from Scripture that if a man desires to be the office of elder, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to have that as a a desire, both a, a mental and a heart desire. And then you go before the elders of a church and they listen to you and go like, yeah, we don't think so. Or, yeah, we do think so. I mean, that's that's how, how you know. And then the third is, um, in in our system, is a congregational vote for a church to affirm that. Churches affirm whether somebody should be a teaching elder or a ruling elder or a deacon. And... For the most part, in my young life, that confirmation of a vote, most men who are called for office, they're kind of final fleece, so to speak. Uh, if, if a congregation is not looking at, uh, uh, if they look at the vote, the number of people that vote, 
and it's not like 80% or above, uh, they're like, well, maybe, maybe I'm not called. But our Book of Church order only calls for a majority vote in the calling. But, you know, we, when we vote for our associate pastor, there's probably not an any teaching elder that would come to this church if only he got if he only got 51% of the vote. He was like, "Well, pack, pack the kids up, honey. <laughs> this is not where we're supposed to go." So we we do kind of have that kind of confirmation, and that was free. I didn't charge for that. So here is just some things to close on. First off, Gideon missed the second part of Exodus 21 through 4 uh, when he questions the angel of Yahweh. And in Exodus 20, it tells us, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And doesn't he reference that? He says that, but he forgets the part that has messed Israel up, which is, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. Had Israel done that? This is their syncretism. I, it doesn't mention an altar to the Lord when we're talking about Baal and the Asherah. But somehow Gideon knows that the, he was recounted the story by elders of their goodness the past 40 years ago. So he knew about it. He just didn't get this part because... I think his mind, being, being the son of the guy that was the keeper of the Baal altar, that just was like a wave that just dulled his conscience. So God has to deliver the people by sending a prophet. Isn't that what John the Baptist does when he comes on the scene? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and be baptized. I mean, that's, that's the going before. And then, you know, I don't want to make too much of a type out of this, but then Jesus shows up and tells the rest of the story, which is the good story. And here are the comforting words that Jesus repeats to his disciples in Matthew 28.10, what he instructs Gideon in Judges 6.23, and to Moses in Exodus 3.12. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And then when Jesus speaks in Judges, 
Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. And in Exodus 3.12, by the way, do you remember what happens in Exodus chapter 2? Moses fights some foes. Do you remember where they were from, by the way? They were Midians. Yep. So we're always having trouble with Midians. I don't know if we still we still have Midians today. Sometimes they just come in the form of something different. But Jesus says that in Exodus 3.12, so he said, I will certainly be with you. So I, I think as we um, come this morning and we as we prepare for the Lord's table for tonight, um, there's tons of, of things in this passage and you could actually do a conference on Judges 6, 7, and 8. And it is worthy of our study. But there may be some things that you're fearful about today. It's normal to be fearful. It's normal to be nervous when you get that a bad diagnosis or you you come home and there's water all over your your house all those things of a temporary nature we we think of our brothers and sisters in Christ in Israel who are having to we're having to hide in the caves we find Gideon at the wine press trying to make something to eat. I mean, we, as you look at the Bible, you know that it takes a large area and it takes a lot of wind to throw the chaff up and let it blow away and all that. I have no idea what that means. I just go to Martin's and buy a biscuit. I don't make my own wheat. But I, I think it's it's good for us to understand that, that there are oppressors out there. There are there are bullies. Uh, you know, I, no one ever took my lunch money, but I know that TV tells us that happens. But um, I, th- I think when we're oppressed, that we need to to cling to Jehovah Shalom. Let's let's pray. Father, there's much in this passage that we relate to in our sinful and fearful and nervous hearts. We, we thank you that you have given us Jesus Christ to watch over us, to intercede for us, and to give us his Holy Spirit to guide us. We pray, Father, as we worship you, that uh, in that time of confession today that we would look in our own hearts and see how we have violated your commandments and blended our practice of things we do with our Christianity and Baal and Asherah and the things that we do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.